Well, thank you for coming back. After last week's sermon, I thought some of you might have just decided to give up on life. Stop mowing the lawn. Stop doing the laundry. Stop doing the dishes. All is vanity. What's the point? I wouldn't blame you after hearing Solomon say things, cheerful things like, You're going to live and then you're going to die and no one will remember you or what you did. I do hope, though, that this week you wrestled with Solomon's central theme that we talked about last week. He gives it and he leaves it sort of hanging there. Before he gives any kind of hope. He does that intentionally. The original readers would have read his words like we did last week. And they would have felt despair. Well that sounds discouraging. That sounds depressing. That sounds despairing. That sounds like there is no meaning to life. And life is empty and pointless. Solomon felt that despair as he looked at his own life. And it's important if we're going to read his work well, that we feel at least the potential of that despair. It's a bitter dose of reality. That's what he gives us. He gives us a bitter dose of reality to read his book is to face reality. You can't read his book and And not look reality in the face. To see the reality of ourselves. To see the reality of this world. To see the reality of this life. We have a tendency to want to escape that. To want to relieve ourselves from that. To distract ourselves from that. And this book won't let you escape. This book will not let you distract yourself. This book will... Not let you relieve yourself from those nagging questions. It won't let you change the channel. It won't let you plug your ears. It won't let you read the book. So Solomon lived a life that was largely apart from God. Turned from God. Going his own way like a sheep that's gone astray. 2 Samuel 7, 14 through 15 says that God's steadfast love, though, did not depart from Solomon. God lovingly disciplined Solomon. Solomon, you want this? I'll hand you over to this. Go ahead. But in the end, and in God's timing, and through God's discipline, Solomon was granted repentance. So he has this book now that he writes for us as as an old man looking back on time wasted looking back on a life that is wasted and in some way the message of his book is don't follow in my footsteps don't do what i did don't live the way i live don't think the way I thought. So let's listen to Solomon again. 
as we look at life under the sun. Before I preach, we should pray together. Please bow your heads with me. Father in heaven, we need help understanding your word and we need help applying your word. We know that our minds would be dark without you. We know that our hearts would be cold without you. So we ask that you would come and give us light and heat. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. If you are using one of our church Bibles, which if you don't own a Bible, feel free to take that home. You'll find today's text on page 355. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Before we begin, let me remind you of what Solomon said in the first 11 verses of chapter 1, which contain his introduction. In verse 2, he gave us a thesis statement. He gave us the central theme of his book. All is vanity. He'll go on to say that word vanity 34 times, and he'll use another term, under the sun, 26 times. So clearly, the theme, the central theme of this book is all of life under the sun is vanity. Life is fleeting. Life is inscrutable. Life is monotonous. It is short, absurd, and repetitive. It goes by quickly. It's Circumstances are inexplicable. It is the same thing over and over and over. It ends up feeling empty. It ends up feeling meaningless. And so the average person, if sober and honest, looks at life and says, as Solomon wrote in 1 verse 8, it is full of weariness. It is full of weariness. Now, in our text today, Solomon begins to tell us how he reached that conclusion. How did you get there, Solomon? How did you get to the point at the end of your life where you look back and said, everything under the sun is vanity? He begins to tell us how he reached that conclusion. So look at verse 12 with me. The professor, Solomon is our professor, he's going to switch from telling his story in the third person perspective, he, she, they, to telling it in the first person, I, me. Solomon is saying now, this is my story, verse 12. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. So there is another reminder of who he is. It's Solomon. The last king over all Israel. There has not been one since. He calls himself the preacher, but a better translation would be the professor. He knows more and he has done more than anyone. He knows more than you know. He is smarter than you are. We have a lot of smart people here. He's way smarter than you. 
Many of you have had a lot of experiences. He's had more experiences than you. He has done more than you. He is the teacher. He's qualified to give us these lessons. And now the first half of verse 13. And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. Here's what he's saying. Early on in his kingship, Solomon set out on an experiment. He says, I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. In other words, he decided to use all his wisdom and wealth and power to sincerely applied my heart, he says, to sincerely pursue anything and everything this life has to offer. Anything and everything. He says all that is done under heaven. So that is the experiment that Solomon introduces here. He is going to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. What is life all about? He's going to ask. Is there joy here? Is there contentment here? Is there satisfaction here? Is there peace here? Is there meaning here? Are there answers here? He's going to turn over every boulder in life and see if there is anything underneath. He is going to chase down every possible lead of satisfaction and see if it amounts to anything. That's his experiment. And he's going to do all of that apart from God. There is no mention of God here, and that's intentional. He's put God in the dock. The context of his experiment is under heaven, he says. It's under the sun. This earth from horizon to horizon, excluding God and eternity. I don't need God for this. I'm cutting myself off. I have all the wisdom and the wealth and the power that I need right here. I'm seeking out and searching everything under heaven, not above. That's what he's saying. So I'm under heaven. I'm under the sun. I'm going to search and search and seek out everything I can in this life. Excluding God. Excluding eternity. So this account here, it is for our good, but it is not a noble experiment. Solomon's heart had been temporarily turned, 1 Kings 11 tells us, to false gods. And this will be a description of him falling away with his eyes wide open. And think about it. Isn't that what most people are doing? We're all thinkers. We're all thinkers. 
and we are seeking and searching for happiness and satisfaction and meaning in this life. And most people are doing it apart from God. Excluding God. That's Solomon's experiment. So let's listen to Solomon. Now tell us about his doomed experiment. He begins with a summary of his findings in verses 13 and 14, which he's going to repeat in chapter 2, verse 11. So the results are in of his experiment, verse 13. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. And we'll see shortly in chapter 2 that the word everything there is no exaggeration. But first, the professor reminds us of something in these last verses of chapter 1. Something he mentioned back in verse 13 when he said, I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom. Think about this. To seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. In other words, he is going to engage this experiment thoughtfully. He's going to do it, verse 13, by wisdom. He's going to keep his wits. He's not going to check his brain at the door. He's going to keep a good head on his shoulders. Remember, Solomon is no idiot. The Bible tells us that Solomon is, you remember, the wisest man of all time. That's what it says. No one before like him, no one after like him. He is the wisest man of all time. So, so he, and this is very unusual, is going to pursue folly with wisdom. By wisdom. He's going to pursue folly with wisdom. He's going to be thoughtfully stupid. That's the experiment. He's going to be thoughtfully stupid. Very few people do that. Let me show you this pursuit of folly with wisdom. I want to make sure that we all see this. It's here in verses 15 through 18, but it's also in chapter 2, verse 3 and verse 9. If you have your Bible open, just look over. He's pursuing folly with wisdom. Chapter 2, verse 3. I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly. Did you hear that? He pursues this, but my heart still guiding me with wisdom. Look at chapter 2, verse 9. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. So he's making this point clear. He pursued every pleasure under the sun, but he was not the college frat member doing it. 
He was the college professor doing it. He's going to pursue folly, but with wisdom. And here's the thing. It didn't help. That didn't help. Now, that's the point he makes in verses 15 through 18. Wisdom has no real advantage. Wisdom did not hold the key to the answers. Even wisdom did not untie the knots of life. Even wisdom did not bring true satisfaction. If anything, and we'll see this, his wisdom makes things worse. He's going to say, better to be an idiot and pursue satisfaction in this life than be wise and pursue satisfaction in this life. Verse 15. What is crooked cannot be made straight. And what is lacking cannot be counted. He's thinking about life. The twists in life. It's crooked. The gaps. Michael Eaton says about this verse. No matter how the thinker ponders, he cannot straighten out life's anomalies. Nor reduce all he sees to a neat system. Frustration and perplexity surround the philosopher. His wisdom may help in some things, but it cannot solve the fundamental problem of life. This is what Solomon is going to tell us. Wisdom can't fix it. Wisdom can't figure it out. Wisdom can't make it meaningful. Wisdom cannot straighten out what is crooked Because, listen to 7 verse 13, just a few chapters later. Consider the work of God who can make straight what he has made crooked. Who can make straight what God has made crooked? Wisdom cannot straighten out what is crooked because God has made it that way. God has made it crooked. The twists in life, the twists and turns and apparent absurdities are from God. And so William Cowper says, and we sing it, we scan his works in vain. We scan trying to figure it out. What is God doing? What is God up to? What are the specifics of his plan? What are the details of his plan? How does this fit with that? And we do that. We scan his works in vain. You can be as wise as Solomon. And that wisdom is not going to help you figure it out. Verse 16. I said in my heart. I have acquired great wisdom. Surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know, listen to this, to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. Wisdom, madness, and folly. Those do not normally go together. It's usually either or, right? It's either wisdom or madness and folly. Solomon says, no, I'm pursuing all those. Wisdom and madness and folly. They all meet in this man and his experiment. And what does he discover about wisdom? In verse 17, I perceived 
that this also is but a striving after wind. Wisdom actually made things worse. Think about what he's saying. Wisdom actually made things worse. Verse 18. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. He who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Douglas Wilson says, of course, wisdom is a pain in the neck. Within these boundaries, wisdom can only show that God has determined to trap us in a meaningless existence. This is the point Solomon's making. So any intelligent investigation of the world and its pleasures will only multiply sorrows. The fool thinks he is chained to a dungeon wall. The intelligent knows that it is actually a labyrinth. Pleasures, delights, sensations, and all their cousins will only send a man first on this fool's errand and then on that one. So here we go. Solomon is off. That's the experiment. He's holding on to wisdom. He's going after madness and folly. He's not doing it like the frat member. He's not going to check his brain at the door. He's not going to do all these things with his small, underdeveloped brain that lacks inhibition. He's going to go after madness and folly with wisdom. And he gives us the details in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Verse 1 of chapter 2. Here again is what he resolved to do. I said in my heart, come now. I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. Behold, this also was vanity. Okay. So it starts with the king giving his heart permission to pursue anything it desires. Unbridled, unrestrained, uninhibited pleasure seeking. Verse 2, but I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. He turns to laughter and pleasure, and wine. And we'll see in verse 8, to women, to music. He throws responsibility out the window. He throws work out the window. Commits himself to full indulgence. Let me say that Nothing that you have ever done, nothing that I have ever done will hold a candle to what Solomon did. We get excited about our little dinner parties and our barbecues. They do not compare to the length Solomon went to. 
Let me read you a scripture. Solomon pursues madness and folly to the nth degree. He partied on an absolutely epic scale. 1 Kings chapter 4, verses 22 and 23 is a short description. Solomon's provision for one day, keep that in mind, for one day was 30 cores of fine flour and 60 cores of meal, 10 fat oxen and 20 pasture-fed cattle, a hundred sheep besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, I don't even know what that is, and fattened fowl. Historians have done the math and figured out that this party would feed between 20 and 35,000 people. One day, that's what Solomon needed. That's the party that Solomon was throwing Every single day. So we say things like, hey, you should come to this party I'm going to have. We're going to have a bounce house. It's going to be epic. Bring your own beef. I'll throw it on the grill. And you're driving up to Solomon's party and there's 10 oxen being slaughtered, 20 cows, 20 cows being slaughtered, 100 sheep, deer, gazelle, pheasant, you name it. But he found the party scene lacking. The lowbrow pleasure didn't do it, so he went for highbrow. He took a shower, assumed responsibility, started working hard. Verse 4, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. Solomon built the temple. That took seven years. He built himself a palace, which took 13 years. He had to build homes for his wives. How many wives did he have? 700. But that's not all. Verse 5. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. You imagine having them over to your house? Oh, that's a, that's a cute planter you have with your tomato plant and your zucchini. Is that cantaloupe? I just planted a forest. He planted a forest. He didn't build a pool. He built pools. I mean, think about this. For those of you who enjoy work, which you should, and I do, can you imagine Can you imagine how satisfying that work would be? I mean, I feel a great sense of satisfaction, truly, when I mow my lawn. I mow the lawn, and then I stand back, and I just glory in it. I love the smell. I love the way it looks. And I just stand there and... My wife will come outside. I'll just be standing there just looking at the lawn. I don't want anybody to step on it or 
bring other people beside me. Look at this. Did you notice? Did you notice what I did? I trimmed all the bushes in the driveway. I mowed the lawn. Weed whacked everything. Come on outside. Look at this. I can't imagine the satisfaction I would feel if I planted Yosemite. If Solomon knew that. Verse 7. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. We're told elsewhere he had 40,000 stalls for horses. He had storehouses of treasure. Did you hear verse 8? I got singers. That's what he said, literally. I got singers. I got singers. We get excited about music that we download and playlists that we make. Solomon would just buy the band and have them follow him around and go to all his parties. I got singers. So Solomon did it all. Everything was no exaggeration. He went lowbrow, he went highbrow. He went irresponsible, and then he went responsible. He went unproductive, he went productive. He drank PBR and played cornhole. He drank champagne and played cricket. He did everything that you can do under the sun. And now here's the height of his experience, verse 9. Here's the, the pinnacle. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Solomon says, if it feels good, I did it. If I wanted it, I had it. Remember the 17th century poem that Robin Williams quoted in Dead Poets Society? Gather ye rosebuds while ye may, old time is still a-flying. And this same flower that smiles today, tomorrow will be dying. Solomon gathered every rosebud. He seized every single day. Now for most people, that sounds amazing. That sounds absolutely amazing. But listen very carefully. Listen to the professor's conclusion at the end of the experiment. He said it back in 1, 13 and 14 and here it is again in verse 11, chapter 2. Then... I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. 
there's that bitter dose of reality again. He had it all. He had everything at his disposal. Everything he craved. Everything he desired. He withheld nothing from himself. And yet, at the end of the day, he concludes three things. All was vanity. All was striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Now, a lot of people have felt like that. You've felt like that. I've felt like that. I'm, I'm not gaining anything in life. I'm not going anywhere. I'm spinning my wheels. Things aren't getting any better. I'm restless. I'm, I'm discontent. I'm not satisfied. But many people squirm out from underneath that burden by thinking like this. But if only. If only. Right now, I'm restless. I'm, I'm discontent. I'm not satisfied. I'm not going anywhere in life. I feel like I'm spinning my wheels. But, and here's how we don't want to feel that way. It makes life feel empty and meaningless. So the way we get out from underneath that feeling that we don't want commonly is to say things to ourselves like, but if, if only I had more money. Or when I have more money. If only I had a spouse. When I have a spouse. If only I had a different job. If only this circumstance changed. If only I was successful. If only I was smarter. If only I was more independent. If only people listened to me. If only I had this thing, whatever it is that I want, then, and when I have it, I'm going to be satisfied. Then I'm going to be content. Then there will be purpose in my life. Then there will be meaning in my life. Then I'll be valuable. Then it will be worthwhile when I have this thing. And here is what Solomon is saying. Nope. No, you're wrong. I'm smarter than you. I had everything you say you want and more. It didn't fix anything. It won't fix anything. It's a hoax. It's a lie. It's not true. It won't change anything. It won't get you anywhere. You'll get it. Feel good for a while. And you'll feel empty again. You'll get it and you'll have a renewed sense of meaning and purpose. And then it's going to be meaningless again. Be pumped. You'll be excited. You'll have figured it out. You'll have arrived. Life is finally going the way you want it to go. It's only a matter of time. Maybe it's not till you die. 
but it's still only a matter of time before you realize it's empty. It's totally meaningless. You'll get it, and you won't be satisfied. You'll get it, and you'll still be restless. Can you handle that reality? I mean, some of you feel that painful restlessness. You know, that painful lack of contentment and satisfaction in your life. And again, the way you've dealt with it is to, is to look over the horizon, is to look over the hills, to look around that next corner. You're close. You can feel it, right? And when that happens, and when I graduate, and when I get this job, and when I meet Mr. or Mrs. Wright, or when this happens, or when that happens, or when the circumstance changes, then I know. That's all I've ever wanted. That's all I've ever wanted. But then I'm going to be content. Then I'm going to be satisfied. I've already got God. I've already got Jesus. And now if I just get that, it's going to, it's going to be perfect. I'm so close, I can feel it. I've been praying for so long. God is so good. God is so faithful. I know it's only a matter of time. And when I have that, I'm going to be okay. So I can stick it out. I can go another week. I can go another month. I could go years. And here's what Solomon is saying. He's saying, I hope you've got more than that. Because let me tell you, I lived that story. I got to the end of that book. And it's tragic. It's not going to do it for you. You still won't be satisfied. You still won't be content. Well, if that's not going to do it, what will? This is the point of what Solomon is saying today. It is not in man's power to gain true satisfaction in anything in this world and in this life. So give it up. That's the point he's making. He says, hey, I know some of you aren't going to believe me. I know you're young and this isn't true, and it's going to be different for me, and I'm going to make a difference, and it won't be the same. My experience, I can tell that's not, what, that's not how it's going to work. I'm doing this differently. And Solomon is, is working so hard here to say, no, listen to me. Grabbing you by the collar of your shirt. Listen to me. It is not in your power. Okay, It's impossible. It is not in your power to gain true satisfaction in anything in this world and in this life. It is not in your power. I had the power. I had the wealth. I had the wisdom. I had everything. And here I am at the end and I'm telling you, all is vanity. It was all a chasing after the wind. There was nothing. Zero, he's saying. I have gained zero in my life. I'm in a desperate place. Everything I pursued came up empty. Nothing gave me the results I thought it would. It was fleeting. And now here it is. I'm sitting on a pile of money. 
Everybody's following me. I'm king of the world, practically, and I'm totally empty. I'm totally without meaning. I'm totally without purpose. Nothing has satisfied me. Nothing has contented me. That's the weight of chapter 1 and 2 of Ecclesiastes. In verse 10, Solomon said he found pleasure. My heart found pleasure in all my toil, but in the end it was fleeting. It was fraudulent. He couldn't escape the vanity. He couldn't find meeting. He had everything and it did not satisfy. In conclusion, what are you striving for? What are you about? What are you, what are you chasing? What would other people say? Other people know, by the way. Husbands, your wife knows. She knows what you're after. She knows what you're chasing. She knows what you're striving for. If you really want to man up, ask her. Wives, your husbands probably know. Your friends probably know. They know what you're about. They know what you're chasing. They know what you're striving for. Are you trying to find satisfaction and meaning and peace and joy apart from God this morning? That's the question. Are you trying to find satisfaction and meaning and peace and joy apart from God? Where are you looking? We'll see this in Ecclesiastes. He'll he'll tell us God has put eternity in your hearts. You have desires and you have longings in your heart that were put there by God. And we go looking to satisfy those things in all the wrong places. They can only be satisfied in God. So you have that desire. You want meaning. You want satisfaction. You want peace. You want happiness. You want joy. So where are you going to find it? What are you striving for? What are you chasing? Work? You finding it in work, wisdom, money, success, pleasure, power, comfort, approval, acceptance, independence, education, control, a relationship. According to the king here, you know what another word is for all those things? Wind. They're just wind. The end of the day, education, it's wind. Wisdom, it's wind. Money, it's wind. Success, it's wind. Control, wind. That relationship, wind. Approval, wind. Acceptance, wind. Work, wind. Money, wind. It's vapor. You're chasing. You're striving for, Solomon says, wind. In the 4th century, the great theologian Augustine said to God in a prayer, Thou hast made us for Thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless 
until it finds its rest in thee. He says, you have made us for yourself, God. And we are restless until we find our rest in you. If you're here this morning and you are not a Christian, do you know God? Not the God of your imagination, but the God as he has revealed himself in his word. Do you know God? If you don't, we're glad you're here. We're only interested here in reading this book and knowing God through it. I think you're in a good place. If you're here today and you are not a Christian, and you say you know Him, have you given up your self-centered, self-focused, self-relying, self-exalting life? Have you given that up and turned in faith to Christ? If you haven't, you'd like to talk about that this morning or pray about that. I'll stick around up front. I'd like to talk to you. If you're here this morning and you are a Christian, what are you chasing? I, mean, I know you know the right answer. Well, God, of course. You learned that in Sunday school. The right answer to every question. Jesus. 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 What are you chasing? And so I know. I know what comes out of our mouths. But when you really think about it, when you really examine your life, when you really examine what you're excited about, what you're passionate about, what you're committed to, what you're devoted to, what you think about, what you talk about. Are you chasing wind? Or are you chasing God? Solomon is going to make this very clear. We are here to pursue, to chase, to strive after God. Christ alone. Christ alone. And then we'll see in a couple of weeks through Christ. And through a relationship reconciled to God. Given the power even to enjoy not only God, but the gifts that he gives us. 
to even enjoy the vanity that is life. To even enjoy life when it is fleeting, when it is monotonous, when it is inscrutable. Only through Christ, only the believer can actually enjoy God and enjoy that life that he has given us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, help us to understand what you have said to us through Solomon. Help us to understand the assessment that we're given of this life. God, if we disagree, help us agree to see that that life is fleeting, that life is inscrutable. We're not going to figure it out. That life is monotonous. It's the same things over and over and over again. And in that, God, we're, we're tempted to feel like it's empty. To feel like it's meaningless. And that vain life is apart from you. So, God, would you give us not only faith to love you, to believe in you, but will you give us also what Solomon talks about, the power to enjoy your gifts, to enjoy this life, to actually enjoy life under the sun. That we would live a life that doesn't look back in regret. But that looks back rejoicing. And we ask this in Jesus name. Amen.